should. But a daily focus on one meaningful interaction for Christ, that's the true difference maker. One friend, one family member, one coworker, one person at a time. We want to see God move in our nation like we have never seen before, but it all starts with one. In our church, we've learned that there's nothing that we can do that is quite as effective at reaching people as simply equipping our members to carry the gospel to people outside of the church. It's not programs that reach people. It's not mailers that reach people. It's not sermons that reach people. It's people that reach people. And it is individual people um, having a relationship with one person that they're using that relational bridge to, to share the gospel with them and live the gospel out in front of them. That is the heart of the Great Commission. It's multiplying disciples, making multiplying disciples. So my one is uh, a guy that is one of my uh, high school daughter's teachers that we just really hit it off. He's not from the United States. Uh, he's new to Christianity, but he's just got a ton of questions. And in the last six months or so, he's accepted two of my invitations to come and I come to one of our church services. I invited him recently to, to begin reading the Gospel of John with me, which he, uh, he said, I sat down to read the Gospel of John, just a chapter or two. He said, by the time I, I got up from my chair, I read the entire thing. And he showed me he had these just pages and pages of, of notes and questions. And he said, I can't wait to discuss. He's agreed to start coming to church regularly now, so I'm praying that the day will soon come when I will see him express faith in Christ. I've got my one, and now I'm challenging you and your church to join us and to find yours, because ultimately, the only number that really matters is one. Who's your one? Hey, good morning to those of you who are visiting with us, and of course, to our amazing Heritage family. Hey, happy Sunday after Easter. That's how it goes. Can you believe that it was just a week ago we we're celebrating together the resurrection of Jesus Christ? It's great to have you with us. My name's Glenn. I'm one of the pastors here at Heritage, and uh, we are grateful that you have taken the time to join us this morning for our online service here at Heritage. Hey, I, I, I have to give a shout out to uh, two new little baby boys that uh, joined our family, our Heritage family this last week. Uh, congratulations to Asa and Suze Bartos who had their twin boys this past Wednesday, April 15th, Asher, Benjamin, and Isaac Dalton. Wow. And uh, they're both doing well. I believe home now, uh, a, a little bit over five pounds each. And uh, what, a, what an amazing gift from God uh, these two little guys are. And uh, I hope one of these days you'll all get to, to meet them right here in our building. So it's great to have you with us this morning as we begin. Uh, have you ever lost your car? Now, now, you know what I'm talking about, not, I mean, like physically, but yes, uh, you walk out of wherever it may be, into the mall, or from the mall, uh, into the parking lot, and you're walking up and down the aisles, you can't find your car, 
or maybe it's Sam's Club or Walmart, or maybe you're at a, a football game or a basketball game. Well, of course, not lately, but uh, whatever it might be. And uh, maybe it was at the hospital. Well, I guess you wouldn't be there either, but you know what I'm talking about. You, you up and down the stairs, and you forget what floor you put it on, and you get off, and you, and you can't find your car. And, and you've seen people like this. They're walking up and down the aisles of the parking lot. And, of course, they got the key fob out trying to get their horn to beep or whatever alarm go off so that they can find their car. And, and, and they're just, they can't do it. And, of course, then there are those who you know they've lost their car, but they don't want anybody else to know about it, right? I mean, they're kind of just doing one of these, uh, sneaking around and trying to figure out, uh, how they can find their car without the world knowing that they've lost the car. Well, this has been going on for a long time. My uh, good friend and I, Ed, grew up in, and in high school. Um, we, we had noticed this, and uh, whether it be out in the parking lot at a mall or a shopping center, wherever it may have been, and so we decided it would be fun to act like we had lost our car. So we would get out into the parking lot, and sometimes it was the whole youth group was there with us, so, you know, showing off a little bit maybe, I don't know. But, but we would uh, start looking around, scratching our head, and, and just wondering, where's our car? And acting like we couldn't find our car, got a lot of laughs. And, and then there was the night we came out of a high school basketball game, <clears throat> walked out into the parking lot, walked up to the car, that we thought was his, and when he went to put the key, it wouldn't fit, and all of a sudden we realized that it was another blue Ford, but it wasn't his. And the way we knew it is, it, his had a green interior, aside from the fact that the key wouldn't fit, and uh, we had to then go and be one of those who looked for our lost car. So a lost car, you've been there. But let me ask you this. Have you ever had to look for a lost person? Now, I don't mean physically, somebody that you knew who was lost and they couldn't be found. No, I'm talking about spiritually, somebody who was lost far from God. We have, we've used that term a lot in the last number of weeks in our Who's Your One series. We've talked about what it means to be lost. We've talked about lost means that it's a person who does not know God because they have not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone and his work on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins. And as a result, they're separated from God. They will die in their sins. And we call, the Bible calls that person lost. Have you ever gone looking for a lost person. Now, chances are, if you've, if you've done that, uh, you had to have wondered, well, what the lost people look like? And as you're thinking through my question, what do they look like? Um, and as we consider the, the who's your one and, and challenge you to, to find a lost person, to begin to pray for them and ask God to do a work in their heart and bring them to Christ. You know, is there a Facebook profile of what a lost person might look like? Is there a, a character description of what a lost person may actually be? And, and if you're like me, you probably haven't taken the time to, to consciously write down 
what a lost person would look like, how they would act. But, but you had this mental image. You had this picture that you've painted in your mind of, of what we believe that a person without God must be like, or at least must act like. Uh, are you tracking with me this morning? Uh, I, I hope you are. And, and have you ever thought about what a lost person looks like before? The problem is when we see someone who fits the image that we have in our minds and, and, and in, our, in our hearts, um, many times it's not because we're concerned about the fact that they're lost and may be far from God. But it may be simply that we just don't like how a certain individual is acting. We may not like how they're talking, what they're saying as we happen to overhear. We may not like uh, what they look like. We may not like how they're dressed. And it may be that they're behaving in a way that we think is wrong. We don't like it. It bothers us. And so we oh, they must be lost. As if we know what all lost people look like. You know, that's what the Pharisees did. That's what they were good at during the time when Jesus ministered on this earth. The Pharisees were always uh, judging people, making decisions about people religiously based upon outward appearances. They made up their own criteria based on what they saw as to what it meant to be lost. Problem is, not all people who are lost look alike. Not all people who are lost act alike. Not all people who are lost sound alike or dress alike. In fact, lost people don't always look lost. Did you get that? Lost people don't always look lost. Now, we're going to take that and drill down a little bit in our text this morning. And so I'd like to open, have you open your Bibles with me, if you would, or, or find it in your phone or your iPad, whatever, uh, to Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. We're going to look at Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. And uh, I'd like to read that for you and parts. We'll move right through the text. This typically is a passage that is known as uh, describing the rich man and Lazarus. So, so look at Luke chapter 16 and verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So what we have here, description, we have the rich man. We're told that he was dressed in purple. That was a royal color. It was an expensive color to have your clothes uh, dyed with that. You had to have money to be dressed in purple. Fine linen, not just some cheap cloth, cotton linen. And in fact, now you can't tell anybody about this, but 
there's a good chance they were underclothes. That's right. That's what, what probably the text means there, the fine linen. And uh, he was dressed with that. We're told that he lived in luxury every day. He had the best food available to eat. And uh, that's what we've, every day he ate that way. In fact, we're told that he had a house big enough to have a gate. It's kind of like the, the lifestyles of the rich and the famous here. Uh, we have that uh, as an individual. It used to be an old television show back in the 80s and 90s. A guy by the name of Robin Leach who had this very exotic accent. And, and every week on the lifestyles of the rich and famous, they would go and, and visit whether it be uh, rich musicians or millionaires or movie stars, whoever it may have been, and uh, saw their homes. Uh, might have been their beach property or it might have been their yacht or some big property that they owned that was just overwhelming, unbelievable, the money and the things that, and, and we would talk about, it's probably the way the rich man was here. He was, he was wealthy. And then we have Lazarus, the beggar. We're told a beggar named Lazarus. And uh, we're told he was laid at the gate of the rich man. It wasn't just kindly, carefully, lovingly placed at the gate. The word actually means just to be tossed or thrown a little bit. No care whatsoever to whoever put him at the rich man's gate. And I'm sure Lazarus thought it might be a good place to pick up some crumbs from the table of the rich man uh, because the rich man ate well. He figured there might be extra food for him, but we realize in the story that that wasn't the case. And he longed to eat that. He was covered with sores. This wasn't leprosy, but probably ulcers. His body was covered, painful. And we're told that the dogs even came and licked his open sores. Now, before you think, oh, isn't that kind? Uh, I think of my dog. He would do that. Now, dogs in Israel weren't viewed as man's best friend. In fact, they were known to be unclean. And anybody who had contact with them in that way would also have been made unclean. So this was only something that added to the pain of the poor beggar named Lazarus. And you look at the picture of him and you just kind of go, yuck, I can't believe that somebody could be living that poorly. And yet that was the case for the beggar named Lazarus. We have a clear picture here of the haves and the have-nots. You can't, but help, you can't help but notice uh, the contrast between the two individuals here. Now, the Pharisees, just so as we begin, if you would go back uh, to verse 14, 15, 16 of, of Luke chapter 16 here, you would find that they were listening in. Jesus had started talking to the disciples, but the Pharisees began to react. In fact, we're told they began to sneer. But I'm sure when Jesus told about this, they were identifying the rich man obviously as uh, somebody who had experienced God's favor, somebody who probably in their minds was righteous. And they would have viewed the beggar, Lazarus, as one who is living and experiencing God's disfavor because of his situation. 
That's how the Pharisees made their determination about right and wrong before God, based on these outward appearances. Now, let's continue on in, uh, in our text here. In verse uh, 22, we read this. Uh, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So now our contrast continues. We find that the beggar, Lazarus, died. Nothing mentioned about a burial, about a funeral of any sort, but that he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And then we're told that rich man, he died. We're told that he was buried. I'm sure he was. There was probably a, a lavish funeral, all kinds of money spent on his funeral, and he was buried. But then we're told in Scripture here that um, when he woke up, he was in Hades. That's right, Hades. And we're told there he was in torment. Hades is a place of torment. Later in this passage, and we'll look at it in just a minute, he cried out in agony, flames of fire in agony and torment. Uh, in the New Testament, Hades is always referred to as the place where the wicked or unrighteous dead go before their final resting place in hell, which won't happen till after the thousand years and the great white throne judgment, the thousand-year millennium and <clears throat> that Scripture tells us about. We won't go there now. But just so you know, Hades, people even now, when they die without Jesus, don't technically go to hell, the lake of fire, but they're in a place of torment, agony, punishment, until they ultimately are put in the lake of fire forever and ever. And so this is where the rich man finds himself, in Hades, in torment, in agony. The contrast continues as we look at verse 25. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. Again, the contrast continues. What life had been on earth. The rich man, he got the good stuff. Lazarus, not. He was the partaker of bad stuff, bad things. Verse tw and then, but now Lazarus is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. In other words, there's no such thing as purgatory. When our lives on this earth end, our eternal destiny is set. That's what we're talking about. Lazarus was with Abraham. Paradise, we would call it. Uh, now you have to remember, this is before Jesus had risen from the dead. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, 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 but uh, the rich man was in Hades, a place of torment that he would be until the final place in hell. And uh, the part of the parable here 
that Jesus, as he just told and continued, would have been a real shock for the Pharisees to hear what Jesus was saying. Oh, they enjoyed the first part because they would have definitely thought the rich man was righteous and would end up in heaven, that the poor beggar Lazarus was unrighteous and would end up in Hades, and yet the exact opposite is true. And as Jesus tells this parable, they would have been offended. In fact, the Pharisees would have been ticked off that Jesus was saying this. You know why? Because the Pharisees were the rich man. That's what Jesus was implying. The Pharisees had money, and they thought they were doing well by that. And they had all of the things that they believed would make them righteous, and Jesus was just kind of throwing that right out the window because that's not the way it was. Remember, lost people don't always look lost. Now, verse 27. So we read, as Abraham is there with uh, Lazarus, the poor beggar, and in Hades, in agony, in torment, is the rich man. Verse 27. He, the rich man, answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. He had, he had at first wanted Abraham to send Lazarus to, to him down in Hades. Just, just bring Laz, just send Lazarus. Again, it was like the rich man up here, Lazarus down here. Send Lazarus to, to give me something to drink, just to touch water on the tip of my tongue. But that wasn't about to happen. The great gulf that was there between the chasm. But here we have, so after Abraham said, that's not going to happen, he says, then I beg you, Father, Send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. He said, all right, if he can't come and help me with, with some water on my tongue, send him to my brothers. Warn them. Testify. Tell them what, where I am and, and that they need to live different. They need to repent so that they don't end up here as well. Abraham's response is, uh, let him warn, uh, or verse 29, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. They have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. Now, Moses and the prophets would be the law and the prophets, and we get that sometimes when we read through the New Testament. The law and the prophets was a reference to the Old Testament. And, and, and so Abraham is saying, no, they've got the Old Testament. They've got the scriptures. They've got the truth they need to hear. Let them listen to Moses and the prophets. Now, let me just give you one illustration. You could go back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, which is sometimes called the, the first place in the Old Testament where the gospel is mentioned. But, but Numbers chapter 21 verses 4 to 9. Numbers chapter 21 and verses 4 to 9. And what we read there is the account of uh, the bronze snake. When uh, Israel was traveling um, along the route to the Red Sea, we're told in verse 4, and they began to mumble and complain against God like they so often did. 
And as a result, God sent poisonous snakes into their midst. And those poisonous snakes bit the Israelites, and, and a number of them died. And when that began to happen, when they saw it was just a terrible situation they were in, they began to cry out to God, we're told. And we've sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you to Moses, they said. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord told them to make a bronze or a brass snake and put it up on a pole. And when anybody would look at that brass snake up on the pole, they would live. It took faith. Do you know what John chapter 3 in the New Testament says about the brass snake that was put up on the pole? We're told in John chapter 3 and verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. There it is. They have Moses and the prophets. We could take it to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, or Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, where we read about the birth of Christ, the birth of the Messiah coming at Christmas time. And, and there was there for them to know who the Messiah is and, and all that he was doing. But Abraham said, Hey, scriptures, the Bible, the truth that you have is sufficient to lead you to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Well, Abraham then closed that little statement by saying, in fact, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, verse 31, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Isn't that interesting? They will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Christ rose from the dead. He has come forth from the grave. That's the gospel. That's scriptural, biblical truth. And there are still those who don't believe. So what does this all mean to us as we, as we think about what does this mean? What will you do? Lost people don't always look lost. Well, as we begin to think about it, are you ready? Because I want you to grab hold of this truth. Being lost is about what's inside. It's about what's in the heart. The rich man, he probably wasn't a terrible guy. Now, he wasn't a great guy because he didn't help Lazarus when he could have. And, and we read earlier from 1 John chapter 3 that would indicate that the love of God was not in his heart. And if the love of God was not in his heart, he was not considered a believer. He was not going to spend eternity with God in heaven. But as we, as we think about this, understand the rich man, it wasn't what he did that put him in Hades. It was what he didn't do. He didn't do anything. He did nothing. We can say it both ways. He did nothing. And the evidence was that God's love had not impacted his life. God's love was not in his heart. He went to Hades because of his unbelief. We need to understand that if we're going to be looking for lost people. 
You see, unbelief is an intellectual problem. It is not a problem that will be solved by information. So no amount of what Lazarus may have said to the five brothers would have helped because they didn't need more information. Abraham said, you have the scriptures. That's all you need. Because it is the scriptures that change the heart. Unbelief is a heart problem, not a head problem. It is a God problem in the heart of an individual, not the need for more information. The Jews and Pharisees wanted a sign. They wanted a, a dead man to come. The rich man wanted Lazarus to come and preach the gospel and warn his brothers so they'd repent. That wasn't going to happen. The Jews were told in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, want a sign. But Paul said, it's the cross of Jesus Christ that they need. And we read about that in Scripture. You see, it's only the gospel that will fix a heart problem. It's only the truth of Jesus Christ that can reach those who are lost, that can reach those who do not know God, that can reach those who are far from God, those who do not have the love of God in their hearts. They are on their way to hell. What do we do with the truth? That lost people don't always look lost? We take the gospel to lost people and we start with people who we know don't know Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation for all those who believe. All those who believe. It's the gospel that lost people need to hear. And again, the problem, as we've been talking about, is that we do not always know who the lost are and who they are not. We don't know who's who as it comes to that because we can't judge based on the outward appearance. Lost people don't always look lost. We've been talking about that. That's the key. They don't look lost. So how do we get to know who they are? How do we get to know who lost people are? Well, we start praying. We start praying for lost people, people who we know don't know Jesus Christ. And we, we ask God that he would open the doors and give us an opportunity to get to know them. And, and then we intentionally look for opportunities to begin to invest to begin to pour into the lives of people without God. We begin to look for an opportunity to build a friendship with that individual and care about them and show them the love of God in that relationship. We invest in them. We help them. We look for opportunities to, to serve them. Now, it's not just doing nice things for them because part of the investment is sharing with them the truth of Jesus Christ. From his word. That's also part of the investing. And then as we continue to invest, we look for an opportunity. We're asking God as we continue to pray that God will give us an opportunity to invite that individual into a relationship about God. 
and ultimately to invite them to receive Jesus Christ. We have opportunities. We, you heard Scott in the opening of our time together talk about uh, Jesus changed my life or two or three uh, minute video that you make and we'll put up online for you to share with somebody how you came to know Jesus. What, what an opportunity that could be for somebody who doesn't know him. Uh, we talked about Hello Neighbor, an opportunity for you to invest in your neighborhood, your neighbors. We talked about who's your one, talking about all the names we have over here on the cross, the 87 names on the cross that we're praying for and asking God to bring to Christ. Listen, Jesus still saves. Jesus saves. That truth is the same today as it was, as it always will be. And we need to give the gospel to lost people. We need to begin to take to those who don't know Jesus. The song we started with at the beginning of our service, Christ is Risen, had these words, In strength you reign, forever let your church proclaim. That's us. That's us proclaiming that Jesus Christ is reigning. He's in control of all that's going on. Oh, church, come stand in the light. Our God is not dead. He's alive. He's alive. We proclaim that gospel message. Oh, people, what if the resurrection really gripped our hearts? We celebrated Jesus rising from the dead last Sunday on Easter. But what if that truth continued to grip our hearts this Sunday and next Sunday and the Sunday after and all year and into the future? What if it so gripped our hearts that we couldn't help but tell people that Jesus is alive after he went to the cross to die in their place for their sins. Wow. What if we began to look for lost people? What if each of us who make up the body of believers here that we call heritage, what if each of us began to look for lost people like we may have had to sometimes look for our lost car in the parking lot? What if until the stay-at-home order is lifted? Man, I can't wait for that. How about you, huh? But what if until that day, we got on our knees every day and prayed for lost people? We started with those that we know who are lost. And we move beyond that and ask God to give us further opportunity to have an interaction with people who don't know God. What if we, we prayed until we had the opportunity to meet again face to face? What if we asked God to prepare the hearts of those lost people for that day when we would be able to get back together again and to do whatever it was in their heart to prepare them uh, with, about their sin, about their need for Jesus? 
so that when the stay-at-home order is gone and life gets back to some kind of normalcy that we then have the opportunity to pour into them. We begin to invest in them and we have the opportunity to invite them to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Remember, Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. So what will you do with the truth that we've challenged you with today? Lost people don't always look lost. We go out and take the gospel to those who we know are lost. And we ask God to use us in the lives of people that we don't yet know. That God would open the doors and prepare the way. Maybe through the Jesus changed my life video that you tell your story of how you came to know Christ. Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. We need to be taking the gospel. We need to be seeking, looking for lost people so that we can share Jesus Christ and his work on the cross with them so that they can have their sins forgiven. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. And that as we celebrated last Sunday his resurrection from the dead, God, he's still alive. He's still risen. God, I pray that that truth would just grip our hearts Lord, that it wouldn't be just a one Sunday or one week out of the year kind of a thing, but we would, as we reflect on what that means, that Jesus is alive and that you would so grab hold of our lives and our hearts and our minds that we can't help but tell those who don't know Jesus that as we look for the lost to share the gospel, you would use us. Oh God, touch our hearts with that great truth. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you're with us today and you don't know Jesus, you would be what we've talked about this morning, classified as a lost person. Somebody without God. Somebody far from God. And like that rich man, man, on your way to hell one day if you continue in your unbelief. Listen, we've shared with you how you can know Christ. We'd love to have that opportunity. Before you go, there's a form on our church website and uh, you can scroll down on the main page there, www.wearehbc.com, and fill out a card. Let us know that you listened and that you have some questions, and we'll be in touch with you. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.